Houses were identical, twee little bungalows, one after another, stretching off into the distance. All had the same immaculate lawns and white picket fences, everything clean and well tended, until you noticed the road. Where there should have been a road ran a wide, dark river. The fast-flowing water teased against the riverbank, splashing up over the pavement, Detritus floated on the water's surface, an upended golf buggy, the branches of a tree, and a body, a man in what might have been a spacesuit, face down in the water. His corpse drifted silently by. And then the body stopped. The river flowed onwards around him, but the dead man remained, snagged on something below the surface, something which now stirred. <laughs> The body was gone. The river flowed softly, but otherwise all was still, silent, until... I think we're all going to need Wellingtons. Oh, I have an idea. The doctor ducked back inside the TARDIS. A moment later, he re-emerged, a huge grin on his face. Under his battered old tailcoat, he wore an enormous pair of waders. They were at least one size too big. Oh, come on, then. Uh, you won't believe where we are. Tentatively, the doctor's friends, Polly, Ben and Jamie, followed him out onto the waterlogged pavement. They all wore chunky overcoats of the same design and gleaming black Wellington boots. You've landed a slap in the middle of a flood. No, 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 no Polly, that, that, that simply isn't true, just to the side of it, really. Uh, our feet won't even get wet. I'm still not sure it's safe. And... Ugh! Oh, Pong's a bit done it. Aye, what's an Aberdeen? Oh, does it feel like Scotland? Oh, I don't know, Jamie, mate. It's soggy, freezing. Don't tease him about getting home. That's not fair. Well, he doesn't need you standing up for him. Uh, now, here, uh, I don't mind. So, <clears throat> uh, where are we, Doctor? Your, your, your future somewhere, I... I should say it's very interesting. Oh, yeah? Every house is the same, stretching off at... Well, it could be miles. I expect it is. That's quite remarkable, given where we are. Just tell us. You mean you haven't noticed? Why don't you look up? Oh! But that's impossible. It, it looks like Hi. a... Hi. We're inside a cave. Oh, y- yes, Jamie. The whole town, miles and miles of it, is deep underground. And what's more... This cavern was dug out on purpose, using machines. See the, the pattern of the, the drill head in the rock? A bit daft, if you ask me. Uh, who'd want to live down here in the dark? There might have been a nuclear war. We're in some kind of bunker. Uh, that's one possibility. Hey, you don't think there's any danger? 
radiation and that. Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't think this place has ever been lived in. And it's long abandoned. There's absolutely no one here. But across the street, attached to one of the houses, a camera watched the doctor and his friends. Steam clouded the deck of operations. The bulky computers were worked by personnel in uniform. White shorts, white t-shirt and white calf-length boots. Each item bore the same corporate logo. At a screen, a short, serious woman watched the doctor and his friends. She wore the same uniform as the others, plus a lab coat. Richard, you'd better see this. The other personnel looked up in surprise, then turned to the dark corner where a figure rose from his chair. Unlike them, he wore a suit and tie in a shiny plastic material. His hair was styled fashionably, his skin positively gleamed. His name badge read, Richard Tipple, Cohesion Interface Manager. He joined the woman at the screen. For a moment, he looked amazed. I'm sure this is nothing to worry about. That satisfied the other personnel who got back to their work. Tipple scrutinised the figures on the screen. This rather explains some of the... He stopped himself. The other personnel were all keenly listening. This is a positive outcome. Well done, Dr. Goro. What knowledge do we have on these people? The system hasn't been able to match them. Unless I'm doing something wrong. I've every faith in you. What resource is up there? The woman, Goro, worked some controls. A maintenance team two tubes away. Their work is tier one, so I'd rather not disturb them. Anyone else? Um, Sharma. Really? Again? She won't give up on the professor. Well, she might appreciate a tip. Signal her that we've eyeballed the culprit. The living room was sparsely furnished. An oblong sofa, a curving table, some abstract art on the wall. Through the front door strode the doctor. I said it would be open. Very nice. He threw himself down on the sofa. It was harder than he'd expected. Ah, oh, ah, oh, oh dear. You can't just make yourself at home. Ah, I keep telling you, there's no one here to mind. (laughs) Damp. You think this place has been flooded? Look, everything's clean. No muck or or mud. Very good, Jamie. But Ben's right. The smell... Well, stands to reason. All the water's passing by. It's just in the air. Now, what's through there? He leapt up, dodged past his friends and ducked into a side room. It appeared to be a workspace with a counter and a tap. What is it? A laboratory? Oh, this is the kitchen. But there's nothing here. Isn't there? He reached a hand to the wall and smoothly opened a panel. Whatever's that contraption? A machine for washing the dishes. Uh, The cups and glasses go here. Polly was already pressing other parts of the wall, revealing more hidden compartments. Here's where they keep the crockery. Enough for a whole party. Don't look like it's ever been used. Can you find a pantry? I found the oven. You'd no fire in there. I think this must be it. A space with lots of shelves. Ah, but all bare. I'd hope for packets and tins. There's loads of grub in the TARDIS. Ah, from a machine, 
No, I wanted labels, so we might tell when and where this is. Why don't we just ask someone? Well, yeah, if there was anyone here. But the Doctor and Polly were staring at Jamie. He grinned sheepishly. Oh, thought you could all hear it. What? I can't hear anything. Quiet, Ben. It's some kind of engine. It's a boat! A large boat putted to a stop by the river's edge, just beside the TARDIS. A man in shorts and T-shirt leapt from the stern onto the pavement. He tied a rope to the nearest picket fence, securing the boat. Men and women in uniform hurried after him, carrying futuristic guns. They took defensive positions along the street of immaculate houses and picket fences. Then a tall woman came ashore. She too wore shorts, t-shirt and calf-high boots, but also a sleeveless jacket with lots of pockets. She raised an electronic probe to the TARDIS. In the house, the doctor and his friends hid by the window, peering out at the woman and her guards. She's after the TARDIS. Very sensibly, Jamie. It's the one thing out of place. They might try and blow it up. Why would they want to do that? Security. I mean, if this is a nuclear bunker, well, they'll at least cordon it off, keep it under guard. What are we going to do? Well, we'll just have to be patient. Do you think she knows we're here? Let's hope not. That's rather a lot of guns. You four can come out now, your hands raised above your heads. Uh, it's going to be one of those days. The woman waited by the TARDIS, watching the nearest house. Two guards trained their guns on the open front door. We saw you on the relay. There's nowhere you can run. If I have to send my people in to get you, I can't guarantee your safety. Five! Four! All right. All right, there's there's no reason for any unpleasantness. He emerged from the house, hands stretched up above his head, fluttering a spotty handkerchief. And the others. Surely there's no need. And the others. You better come out and join us. Ben was first, trying to use his body to shield Polly behind him. Except, to his embarrassment, it was Jamie he was shielding. Hey, mind yourself. Polly rolled her eyes and stepped round the two boys. Who are you? Are we under arrest? Uh, No, Polly. You you don't need the guns. Uh, We're unarmed. Uh, I I suppose you want to know why we're here. I assume it's corporate espionage or some anti-capital thing. I don't care. I just want the professor. Yes, the professor. Professor who? I've been authorised to shoot you if you won't return his body. The guards turned their guns on the doctor and his friends. Doctor! Uh, I'm sorry about your friend, uh, but I can assure you we had nothing to do with his death. Then he is dead. What? Uh, No, no, you just said... Now look, we don't know anything about it. We only just arrived here. That isn't possible. There are protocols. Only an adjudicator can... She froze. The doctor smiled kindly. Well, yes, uh, if you'd let me reach in my pocket. The woman didn't respond, but the doctor gingerly lowered one hand. From his tailcoat, he produced 
some string and a child's catapult and dropped them on the lawn. Then he found what he wanted and held up a small disc. You're an earth examiner. It is what the badge says. At the woman's signal, the guards quickly lowered their guns. One of them even saluted. The doctor nodded regally. Inspection without notice, sir. You know, the sort of thing. Uh, But it seems it's just as well we're here. What's your name? Chatura Sharma. Chatura. Why don't you tell me about this professor? Chatura seemed torn. No, she seemed desperate to unburden herself. There were tears in her eyes. It's been awful, you see. The guards raised their guns, but not at the doctor and his friends. Instead, they filed quickly back onto the boat. Why does the future always have to be so noisy? What is it? Not a fire alarm. You should all come with us. Now, please. I'm not getting on a boat. There's nothing to be scared of. Now, here, I'm not. Whatever's happening. You're not under attack. Oh, well, uh, that's all right, then. Chatura's expression suggested otherwise. We'll have to see if there's... Anything left? The boat bucked and buffeted as they sped their way downstream. Ben, standing at the prow, seemed exhilarated. Polly joined him just as they hit a wave. Woo! <laughs> Behind them, Jamie and the doctor clung to the handrail, both a little green. The doctor tried to distract himself from the lurching movement by addressing Chatura. Uh, your friend? Professor Norton. What happened? He disappeared. You think he's been taken by someone? Anything might have happened. He raised the alarm, but by the time anyone responded, there was nothing there. Before you, you thought we'd kidnapped him? I almost hoped. Otherwise, he's just gone. But where we are going now... There's a maintenance crew. One of them sounded the alarm and then turned it off, but they're not answering our signals. Ah. How much further? It's in the next section of tube. There must be thousands of houses here. At least. But none of them are lived in. Not while we're still in extraction stage. Health and safety? Excuse me, I should get this. Yes, Richard. We're heading there now. No, he's an earth examiner. I checked his credentials. As Chatura moved away, Jamie joined the doctor by the handrail. They'll check yon badge, isn't it real? Uh, the badge is genuine, all right. It's, it's just not exactly mine. <coughs> now, uh, we need to work quickly to show them we're indispensable. Something very wrong is happening here. I, I wonder what. She said extraction. Uh, we're, in, we're in some kind of mine. The size of it. They dig out whatever they're after and then... They're left with huge tunnels, which they fill with houses. Aye, but why? For people to live in, of course. Wherever we are in time, there must be a great demand for homes. So they've hollowed out the earth and people live like worms. No, I don't think we can be on earth. I still wouldn't want to live in a hole. No, and yet here they are planning it on a massive scale. Things must be pretty desperate. You can see it on these people's faces. They can't allow what they're doing here to fail. They moored up beside a smaller craft by another street of houses. 
The water was deeper, up to their ankles as they clambered out onto the pavement. Something's not right. It's in the air. Oh. Doctor, what is it? You've got a hole in those waders? No, it's just the coat. <clears throat> Come on, uh, sooner we get this over with. Hello? Anyone here? There was no answer. The guards split up into twos and threes to venture further inland. Chatura joined the doctor examining the machine on the back of the abandoned boat. A communicator hung from a lead. The doctor placed it back in its cradle. You wouldn't just leave it hanging, would you? You mean they must have been dragged away? We don't even know they're missing. Ah, well, let's look for them. What was it they'll be doing here? Maintenance. Shoring up the houses from the water. Then they'll be working somewhere inside. Ah, there's a door open. Look, uh, up there. The house was exactly the same as the one they'd been inside earlier. Almost. The sofa and table were arranged against a different wall. There was a different abstract painting and three inches of water on the floor. Oh, it stinks. I think the water's been here a while. Uh, hello? Anyone here? Uh, doesn't sound like it. Well, there's no sign of a fight. All spick and span. Well, if it weren't for the water. And look. Just below the line of the water, there was something attached to the wall. The doctor went to investigate. Ah, oh, these uh, look almost like barnacles. Syrupedes. Uh, well, well, yes, uh, meaning curl-footed. Indigenous population, and no, they're not eating people. We've tested them. Extremely basic organisms, almost no sensory perception. They draw in salts from the water. The doctor still seemed fascinated by a new alien creature, but forced himself to focus. Uh, ben, uh, have a good look round. See what you can find. Right. Take someone with you. We should never be on our own. I'll go. Uh, why shouldn't we be on our own? Well, I've not heard of more than one person going at a time. You mean this has happened more than once? We don't know anything happened. This lot might just have gone off somewhere. Perhaps they needed more equipment. But then they'd take their boat. Chatura, please. How frequently is this happening? I don't know. Can't be very often, can it? Why not? The main deck would have told us. We're in this together. On the deck of operations, Richard Tipple watched all this on his screen. Good. She's underscoring corporate messages. This man she's with... Beside him, Dr Goro worked some controls. The screen now showed the doctor... No records found, but an Earth examiner wouldn't be on our system. There should be a process for checking he is what he claims. He was carrying a badge. If we scanned it... That would mean bringing him here. But that might help contain him. All right. Signal Sharma. Tell her we're keen to fully open door this examination and to bring him in. But if he finds out what we've been doing... It's not on the books. I'm more concerned by what's happening down there. We'd best have someone cover it. There's no one in the vicinity. I need someone I can trust. Someone like you. Uh, but Richard... You don't want to be stuck down here with the examiner and all his questions. But if it makes you feel better, take a unit of guards. Be sure they're fully armed. The doctor waded through the water in front of the house, watched by Polly and Chatura. It's too deep for there to be footprints. 
I was looking for anything they might have dropped. There are lots more of these barnacles, but nothing that helps us. Jamie and Ben emerged from the house. Couldn't see nothing. We even checked out the back. Aye, there's a yard and gate, but it's locked. Uh, easy enough to climb over, but no sign that anyone did. This is how it was with the professor. Just nothing. Any ideas? Doctor? It happens when you're alone, somewhere. Two people here. Let's say one goes into the next room and vanishes. What does the other one do? Signals the alarm. You come running out here, down to the boat, where you lift the receiver. And only then does it strike you. What? That now you are alone. Then something is grabbing people. More than that, it's waiting and watching. Biding its time for the right moment. I need to take this. Richard! Yes, we're still here. Doctor, this thing, it must be intelligent. It might not be a thing, Polly. When Chatura thought it was us... She, she thought we were corporate spies or anti-something else. You mean it's people doing this? Uh, the, the only way to be sure is to track them down. And how do we do that? Well, it's easy enough. But he stopped at the sight of Chatura returning. I'm to take you to the main deck. Richard says he'll answer all your questions. He knows what's going on, does he? If anyone does, it's him. Right, well, uh, what about things here? They're sending his second-in-command. Goro knows her stuff. She's bringing equipment to scan the river. Well, I'd like to stay to see that. But I'm to drive you down to the main deck. Well, do we need to leave now? Uh, how long will Goro be? She's on her way. But the cohesion interface manager... Doctor, you go with me, Sharma. We'll wait here. We can signal you if we find something. Take Ben with you. What? It means going by boat, doesn't it? You wouldn't want to miss that. But, Jamie... I'm no scared of going on a boat. Oh, of course you're not. But it isn't safe. <laughs> what, with all these guards? Someone has to keep the Doctor from getting into trouble. Well, no more than is absolutely necessary. Uh, now, wait a minute. Doctor, you said it yourself. We need to find out what's happening. And quickly, so more people aren't lost. The Doctor looked like he might argue. But then he only smiled. If you're sure. Well, uh, <clears throat> uh, take care, won't you? To Polly's surprise, the doctor leaned over to kiss her on the cheek. As he did so, he surreptitiously put something in her hand. All right, Miss Sharma, uh, Ben, uh, time and tide, etc. You're sure you'll be all right? Go! I'll not let her out of my sight. And I don't mind getting on boats. Come on, Ben, uh, we need to go. Be careful. Polly and Jamie watched the boat slush away through the water. Then they were alone. Polly looked down at the object in her hand. The doctor had given her the examiner's badge. Bristling with sudden cold, or was it foreboding, Polly took Jamie's arm and led him back to the house. The boat made its way through the silent streets. Here, the water reached up to the houses, lapping against the front doors and the windows. Barnacles clung to the walls. Flooding's getting worse. We're heading down the tunnel, so it's deeper. Suddenly, there were no more houses. A wide sea stretched out in front of them. Tendrils of fog curled softly over the water. Away in the distance, where the sea appeared to meet the rocky ceiling, lights glimmered in the dark. Then there was another boat coming towards them. 
there might have been 30 uniformed personnel aboard, all wielding guns. They surrounded a small woman in a lab coat, a steely look on her face. That's Goro. Those guards, she could be going to war. Chatora didn't respond, but it was clear she too was troubled by the sight. As their boat passed, she waved her hand in greeting, but Goro didn't acknowledge her. They went on, closer to the rock, and the lights grew more distinct. They were windows in some kind of building. No, they were transparent walls in a complex built into the rock. Tiny uniformed people on the other side went about their duties. The fog was thicker too. The haze reached into the boat and was warm against Ben's skin. Hi, it's getting hot. We're close to the mine operations. Now Ben could see lights at the bottom of the rock by the water's surface. A jetty where a group of people waited. Uh, quite the reception. Do we bow? Examiner, what a delightful surprise. We are stoked to welcome you to our little facility. Richard Tipple, Cohesion Interface Manager. A cohesion what? I know, right? I'm just the poor guy in charge of corporate optionality across the extraction piece. If you'd follow me. What did he just say? I'm usually very good with languages, but I have no idea. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Tipple? Oh, please. Richard. Uh, Richard, uh, all these people with guns, uh, how serious are things? We take our work seriously, Examiner. But the guards are for you. Oh, you shouldn't have. We're required by company law to protect our security interests. But it's just a formality, isn't it? We'll check your credentials and then I can dismiss them. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, of course. But uh, <clears throat> just hypothetically, if there was some problem with my credentials... Of course, you want to drill down into how we do things. Yes, in such an eventuality, we'd go forward into proactive engagement. Which would mean... Uh, well, as you say, I, I'm keen to understand your systems. Which would mean, unhappily, the guards would have to shoot you. Jamie and Polly watched the small army of personnel disembark from the boat, followed by a short woman in a lab coat. She scrutinised Polly and Jamie, who instinctively stepped back. Polly, though, wouldn't be intimidated. Hello, you must be Dr Gorrow. We're... I already know. You have questions to ask me? Well, not as such. You get on with whatever you're doing. We'll tell you if it's wrong. Gorrow glowered at Jamie, but he stared right back. I want a perimeter along the quay here. Get the equipment into the water. Come on, chop-chop, we're being judged on this. I think you won that round, Jamie. You brought a lot of people. What are you afraid of? Many hands means this won't take long. Polly and Jamie caught up with Goro. You speak like it's inconvenient being here. People are missing. Yes, from their own carelessness. And while I'm required to help look for them, other operations are neglected. They weren't careless. They were taken. You've evidence for that? The receiver there. It was hanging from its cradle. But people have disappeared. In an operation this size, with hundreds of thousands of personnel, you expect accidents. It is regrettable, but not statistically significant. But it's more than just the two maintenance people. There was a professor, and I think others as well. 
You brought all these soldiers. You're worried, aren't you? Goro shook her head, then produced a handheld electronic device. She tapped a series of commands into the screen, then held it up for Polly and Jamie to see. There were columns of numbers. Oh, aye. But、uh, what does that even mean? In ten years of operation, this is the number of such disappearances. Twenty. That's all. It's almost an endorsement for the safety record here. Um, does that include the two maintenance people here? Goro looked again at the screen, then tapped more commands. It does now. Even so, statistically normal. It still says twenty. What? Jamie snatched the device from Goro's hand and handed it to Polly. You know about computers, don't you? Um, yes. Look, the equation in this box—it only totals the data from the last twenty rows. That's why it always gives the same value. But if we alter it, um, here, we should get a total for everyone missing. Oh, let me see. But, but that's impossible. Aye, that's an awfully big number. But then it's over ten years. Even so, given our population, it, it's about one person every two hours for a decade. Flooded street by the fast-flowing river that had once been a road, Polly worked a handheld electronic device. The equation in this box—it only totals the data from the last twenty rows. That's why it always gives the same value. But if we alter it、um, here, we should get a total for everyone missing. Oh, Doctor Goro took the device from her. Let me see. That's impossible. Jamie tried to intercede. Aye, that's an awfully big number. But then it's over ten years. Even so, given our population, it, it's about one person every two hours for a decade. On the jetty beneath the huge base of mining operations, the Doctor Ben and Chatura faced down the uniformed guards. The guards held their guns ready, like a firing squad. The silvery-suited Richard Tipple smiled. If I could see your credentials. Yes, of course, Doctor. Oh, oh dear, I, I remember. Oh, I don't have them on me. But he did. I, I saw his badge. Yes, I, I gave it to Polly to look after. You what? That's inconvenient. Well, Mr. Tipple, if you 
strictly adhere to your protocols, there's only one thing you can do. You have to shoot us. Oh, now, hang on. We'll just be a couple more names on your list of the disappeared. Though the numbers are mounting up, aren't they? I wonder what the next examiner will have to say about that. We're not bound by process. I see myself as an architect of change in the management cycle. I'm very glad to hear it. He does mean he's not going to shoot us, doesn't he? We'll hold back on the credentials until we reconnect with the rest of your base. Weapons down. At ease. Very good. I'll be sure to put this in my report. I suggest we head upstairs, find a breakaway space for a coffee, and so you can throw me any questions. These missing personnel you mentioned, that can be explained. On the street, Goro tried to make sense of the data. There must be an error. It's impossible. Oh, things like this. Computers. They're always going wrong. The question is whether it was done on purpose. What? Of course not. Better tell the doctor. I. Call him up on your signal. I'm sure Richard can explain. But as they started back towards the boat and the communicator, Goro stopped. A guard came hurrying towards them. What is it? Kelly and Stuart. They were patrolling together. They knew we all did not to go alone. Send them a signal. Get them back here. I already have, sir. No answer. They've gone. The deck of operations buzzed with activity. Uniformed personnel worked at huge machines, monitoring systems, marked energy flow and outputs. We pride ourselves on spotting potential hazards before they occur. These people are solutioneers. Um, sorry, is there something wrong with that display? The doctor had his back to Tipple and was reading a display. Maybe you can tell me. The core of this mine. Surely it can't be that hot. Must be why they wear all that special kit. Look. He pointed to a screen on the wall. It showed people in cumbersome protective suits struggling to move huge canisters deep within the mine. That's a lot more padding than anyone else has gone. It's not just the heat. Look how they handle those canisters. Yeah. Like they might explode. Uh, Mr Tipple, uh, whatever are you mining? I was getting to that. We've a broad platform of bases in the mineral sector, but our main locus is Arcanite. You're mining Arcanite. What's that? Sounds like fish paste. A mineral compound that delivers a spectrum of consumer needs. They use it on the twin worlds of Deltron. To end the Deltron war after two centuries. You see, Arcanite is the active ingredient in what we call robust planetary cleansing. I get you. It's some kind of a weapon. Ben, it obliterates whole worlds. That's not our end of the workflow. Oh, you merely pass it on to those who dare use it. Well... Answers one question I had. I'm glad to hear it. I was going to ask if anyone might want to sabotage the work here, but I had it the wrong way. Who wouldn't want to stop this? Polly, Jamie, and Goro were with the guards as they searched for their two missing comrades. They all kept close, watching warily, but the streets were eerily quiet. Maybe it's the same as before. One got taken, then the other was alone. Or, whatever it is, it's getting bolder, taking two at a time. We need evidence. We're doing no good as one group. Look, I'll go and take a few of your people. You can go back to the boat. No, 
We should all stay together. But you have to tell the doctor in case anything happens to us. I'm not letting you out of my sight, Jamie McCrimmon. So, what are we going to do? All right, I want a couple of guards to escort me back to the boat. The doctor looked exasperated, but Tipple seemed quite unfazed. We have strict limits and safeguards on those we allow to purchase our product. Our colonies must be able to defend themselves. What happened on Vega 4 with the Daleks? The Daleks? Yes, but even so. Sorry, I'll need to get this. Goro, tell me everything's been put right. His smile remained fixed as he listened to the communicator, but it was clear something was wrong. I'm sure it's fine, and I can explain the discrepancy in the data. No, you've done everything right. Uh, let's see. He twisted round to look at a clock display. It was a little after half past five. I've time to come down and see for myself. No, tell me when you see me. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope there's not a problem. He wasn't the only one concerned. Personnel looked up from their workstations. Your friends have questions about our accounting methodology, which I'm happy to answer. Everyone back to their duties, please. Two guards are off group. They disappeared? Together? They're being extra cautious by calling it in, so we can tackle this proactively. As you heard, I'm taking personal charge. Are Polly and Jamie in danger? With all those guards? Of course not. But come see for yourself. Yeah, all right. So, I wanted to see the mine. If that's what you'd prefer, I can leave you here. And I wanted to talk with you anyway. I'm at your disposal. But your friends are expecting me. Doctor, Polly and Jamie? Yes, all right. Uh, I'll go with Mr Tipple. You stay here. What? If he says everything is all right, I'm sure it will be. But while they're gone, you could have a look at the mine. Now, hang on. It'll save valuable time. I can't allow you just to wander where you please. But we're examiners. We can go anywhere. It's a high-risk environment. I can't let you get injured. Well, uh, no. But Chatura could be his guide. Well, um, if Mr Tipple doesn't object. Why would I? Yes, of course. Well, that's settled then. No, but... Uh, yeah, all right. See you back here in a bit. Tipple had his own speedboat with his name on the streamlined roof. He drove the boat himself at alarming speed. Beside him, the doctor held on tightly. Are you sure we don't need more people with us? I, I mean, uh, guards and things? You want to put more people in the danger zone? Uh, well, no. I'm only teasing, examiner. Trust me, there's nothing to worry about. I'm sure we can wrap this up. What makes you so confident? I know this mine better than anyone. Yes, there are risks, but we plan around them. We manage them, so the work goes on. What if the problem is so big the work has to stop? It won't. We can't fail. Surely that's uh, overconfidence. You misunderstand me. You know what it's like out there, the trillions of people who depend on developments like this. We can't be allowed to fail. So you press on whatever the cost. Why don't you tell me what you didn't want to say in front of your people? I'm right, aren't I? Your friends found an error in the data for missing persons. Well, the data is fine. I exercised certain prerogatives on intelligence for the sake of morale. It was you. 
I was making sure a few outlier statistics didn't throw us off course. But there may have been more outliers than I anticipated. My little judicial fix may have hidden a more serious problem. Steam filled the dark workings of the mine. The rock looked warped and melted. In an alcove by one of the huge mining machines huddled three tiny figures in protective overalls, like spacesuits. All right, cheers. Ben and Chitora left the woman miner they'd been questioning and headed deeper into the mine. So, that's eight out of eight who know something's not right here. That posh Richard is hiding something. They said they weren't privy to all the data at his command. Yeah, but the way they said it. It's getting warm down here, isn't it? You noticed... Observant like that, me. Shouldn't be this hot. I mean, the standard models of asteroid structure don't match what we find here. You need to get the boffins in to look. We already did. I was working with Professor Norton when he disappeared. He is... He was head of geology for the Gifford asteroid belt. Right. And what did he found out? Not much. Got distracted by barnacles trying to make sense of their reproductive cycle or, or the fact that they don't appear to have one. You don't find any young ones. I had a skipper once who got obsessed with finches. He was searching for young ones when he disappeared down in the interior lake. The what? It's at the heart of the asteroid. It's pretty strange. Strange? Wow. You'd have to see it. But after the professor disappeared, Richard said the lake wasn't safe. It's off limits to everyone. Oh, did he? Well, now I have to have a butcher's. Tipple's speedboat came to a stop beside the empty, flooded street. Tipple, sporting an immaculate silvery pair of waders over his suit, helped the doctor onto the pavement. A machine stood abandoned there, a cable trailing from it into the water, barnacles crusted on one side. It shows they've scanned several miles of river, but haven't found anything. There's nothing in the water but water. Good. Then why aren't they here? I should have brought those guards. Mm. Too late now. Come on, we'll go look for them together. I'm sure nothing can be wrong. Nervously, they made their way towards the line of houses. No door's open now. Well, we'll just have to... Doctor! T- Jamie! Oh, there. What a sight for sore eyes. Wait. Why on earth are you on your own? There. There's been another attack. Of what? Oh, all right, all right. Get your breath back. But what happened? Where's everyone else? Where's Polly? Light dappled over Ben's protective suit as he stepped through the hatchway. Behind his visor, his eyes were open wide. Whoa! <laughs> Quite something, isn't it? They made their way down to the shore. They were in another huge cavern, the rock ceiling low enough that Ben might have brushed it with his hand, but the passageway widened in front of them as it met the water's edge. Light glowed from deep within the lake, 
The soft undulation of the water surface sent coloured patterns skittering over the rock. Well, that's never ordinary water. Chemically, it's not far from seawater on Earth, but you're right. It's somehow different. It's thicker, like syrup. We don't understand why or why, when it flows out to the tunnels above us, it also gets less dense. So it's all one body of water? The professor thought so. We were making maps, but we're much lower down here, so why isn't it up to the ceiling and, and why is it so hot? Well, there's no steam down here, not like in the mine. Trust me. The water in there is nearly 30 degrees. Because we're close to the core. An asteroid shouldn't have a hot core, and the heat is from the water. Ben made his way closer to the water's edge. Careful. I'm in this suit. They're not designed for swimming, even in ordinary water. Right. But look at it. Just look. All the barnacles. Thousands of them. Some of them, many layers thick. And all of them, best we can tell, are ancient. The house looked the same as the others, the abstract art on the wall. A sofa and coffee table sitting in a foot of water. A few barnacles adhered to flat surfaces. It was crowded with all the guards huddled in the room too, but they made space as best they could when the Doctor, Jamie and Tipple hurried in. Here we are. Where's Polly? Nothing's happened, has it? No, I'm here. She and Goro pushed through the crowd of guards to join them. But Jamie, you were... Hi. Four of us. But then there was just me. They took three of them. I didn't hang about to look. I'm sorry. You did the right thing. I said you weren't to go. But then we'd never have found you. Dr. Goro, I presume. We'll try and find your missing people. Richard, where are your guards? I didn't want to risk bringing anyone else. Mr. Tipple has come to realise the gravity of what's going on. But people only vanish on their own. No, Richard, they're going in groups of two and three. You didn't report that. You didn't give me a chance, and it's not just at high tide. I see. So you, you thought we'd be safe coming here if we got the timing right. I thought I could reassure you. Well, you've only landed yourself in it. We took the house because it's easier to defend, uh, we think. But nobody's seen anything. We still don't know what's doing this. We scanned the whole river. Nothing. The doctor turned to Tipple. Look, you'd better come clean. You've known about this for some time, haven't you? We thought we could manage the risk within acceptable margins. Our people are doers. They know the dangers and they still want to get the job done. We could be proud of what we achieved. But that's the point. They don't know the dangers. You've lied to them about how bad it really is. You put all their lives at stake. Doctor, people need these homes. They're desperate. And if they're desperate, what's a few people going missing? Is that it? Except it's not just a few. So what are you suggesting? We can't just walk away. We might have to. What? Richard, no. The game's up, Barbara. I can't see a way around this. The examiner knows everything. Oh, well, well yes, I... I'm glad you've seen some sense. But you can't close us down. What we're doing is too important. You can make your case at the inquiry. Examiner, I put myself in your charge. Yes, all right. So what? I'm running things now? What could possibly go wrong? Hmm, well, we uh, we can't stay here. It's clearly it isn't safe. Well, if we go out there, this thing can get us. Aye, but we'll have to take that risk. Otherwise, it's got us trapped. Isn't that right, Doctor? I'm afraid so. We have learnt something. 
if it's connected to the tides, it must be in the water. Ben, on his hands and knees, ventured slowly forward. The syrupede shells glistened and gleamed, light from the water dappling over them. Well, they're not like barnacles at home. The shells are thinner, more pointy. They're not related to the Earth creatures. It's parallel evolution. Of course it is. Don't disturb them. Oh, I'm only having a look. But what, are they poisonous or something? I don't think so. But what harm have they done you? Fair enough. Think I'm done anyway. They don't do much, do they? Well, what were you expecting? A song and dance? But they're still an extraordinary find. Life, even here. And there's no way they can make people disappear. I can't see how. They don't move. They've only got basic sensory perception. And there's nothing else in the water. I was going to say no, but look. She pointed out across the water where something was stirring. What is it? I don't know. It's never done that before, but it's coming this way. She was right. Whatever it was, it was moving, and the sea was shifting too. A wave washed over the rock right up to Ben and Chatura's feet. Run! They ran, but the path back to the hatch was narrow and they could only go in single file. Ben shoved Chatura in front of him and then hurried after her. The waves kept coming, catching at their feet, sloshing round their ankles, getting deeper each time. Ben! I'm all right! Keep going! It's got you! Don't worry about me! Then a great wall of water crashed over him. And he was gone. Three guards emerged from the house, guns trained at the softly undulating water. More guards followed. Then the doctor, Polly and Jamie, all holding hands tight. If it's in the water like this, it, it must be very small. Sharks can attack in the shadow, Jamie. But we scanned the river. There was nothing big. Yes. Well, maybe not when you scanned. If we bring out the chairs and table from the house, we could set them down here and walk across them so we're not in the water. If there weren't so many of us, maybe. Uh, no, we uh, do this together. Uh, quick. They followed the guards back through the flood water to the makeshift quay where the boats were moored. It was deeper here, the fast-flowing water reaching up to their waists. It made the going slow. It's all right. Just keep hold of my hand. One goes, we all go. Did you have to put it like that? At last, they were at the boats. Guards helped haul them on board. Uh, 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 Thank you. What a relief. Aye, but you've got your waders. You're the one soaked through. At least it was warm. You're right. That's odd. It was cold before. Horrified, he turned back to the street. Tipple was standing away from the other boat, refusing to take his place until the others were on board. Is uh, is everyone here? Is anyone not accounted for? The guards already knew. We've lost three since we left the house. Sorry, sir, but... Where's Dr. Goro? Ben thrashed and fought, but the water held him tight. It was pulling him further out into the deep, and there was nothing he could do but flail his arms and legs. The spacesuit pressed around his body. He could see little out of the visor, 
just the all-encompassing murk. Now, water drizzled on his forehead. Chatura had said the suit could be compromised. He was going to drown. And then something, something brushed against his leg. He kicked out instinctively, but it grabbed him round the ankle. He was ready to kick again when he realized it was a hand. Yes, he could feel the shape of the fingers. He made a decision and stopped fighting. The hand dragged him through the water and bumped him against the rock. Then emerged from the water within sight of the hatchway. Chatura let go of his ankle and helped him to his feet. She pushed him first up the narrow passageway and he fell over the bottom of the hatch and landed face first on the other side. You all right? Yeah. I said to keep going. I know, but you were still within reach. It could have been a trap to catch us both. Oh, you think the sea is plotting against us? You're the one that said it doesn't behave like it should. That's ridiculous. It doesn't stop it being true. Come on, we should let the doctor know about this. He'll know what to do. Ben, still in his protective suit, sat huddled with Polly, who was wrapped in a towel. Jamie, beside them, cradled a cup of steaming coffee. Tipple looked ashen-faced and stared dully ahead. But everyone else, the guards and personnel, had their eyes on the doctor. I really don't know what our next move should be. We get everyone out of here. We have to evacuate. The risks are, are too great to stay. To get out, we have to go back up the tunnels. We'd have to cross the water. Some of us would make it. There must be a better way. If we could get to the TARDIS, there's room for everyone inside. If we could get to it, but that still means going up the tunnel. There are hundreds of thousands of us. And we'd never get them home. The Doctor can't control that machine of his. But this lot can. I mean, their own machines. Why can't you tunnel straight up, make a new way out? The Doctor suddenly perked up at the suggestion. But the mine personnel didn't look so sure. What's the problem? It might be possible, without the rock up there crashing down on our heads, but at the very least, we're talking months. Months? And we'd be stuck here all that time? OK, but you got any better ideas? Clearly no one did. <sighs> all right, I, I want a team to work out what's required. Uh, logistics, uh, structural calculations, estimates of resources. Now, while that's going on, I want a delegation on defences to keep us safe from the water. Uh, uh, Mr. Tipple, perhaps you'd lead that. Tipple didn't seem to notice. Mr. Tipple, uh, I'm sure we're all sorry about Dr. Gorrow. She was a brilliant doctor. The research she'd been conducting. I don't think he can help us. All right, someone else. Not you, Chatura. Uh, but I can run the structural calcs. I'm sure you can. But I have another job for you. Uh, uh, Jamie can manage the defences, uh, can't you? Uh, of course, I, uh, I think... All right, I need a team of your best builders uh, on the double. He's a proper laird of his domain. Want me to give him an hand? Yes, uh, you and Polly. Good idea. Shouldn't we alert the authorities outside about what's happening? Uh, Not for a moment. They'd only want to interfere, or or, or worse, to send in help. We've more than enough people here already. I'd like to go on. Come on, Paul. Hang on a minute. Why do you want us all out of the way? Me? Whatever... 
makes you think that? He's planning something. With this one. Me? No, I'm not a part of this. You see, uh, there isn't anything. Now run along and help Jamie. Oh, but it's obvious. He wants to see where you took me. You mean, beyond the hatch? What? But it's dangerous. Just quickly, while everyone's otherwise occupied. I'd like a word with this clever sea. The doctor, in a protective suit, stepped through the hatch into the narrow passageway, Chatora, Ben and Polly following. Light glimmered from within the strange, thick water of the lake. Ah, this is rather something, isn't it? Oh. Echo! Echo! <laughs> How splendid! Don't get too close to the water. I know what I'm doing. Hello? Can you hear me? really going to try and talk to the sea? Why not? Canute commanded the tide to stay back. And it ignored him and washed over his feet. Ah, but he didn't have my powers of oratory. Now, I, I know we've disturbed you. All that digging about upstairs. And a letter. Why can't these tiny humans clear up their own mess? But I've interceded on your behalf. And they're going to leave. I know you're hurt, even angry, but can you allow them to go? To go? To go? What were you expecting? You can't talk back. Look at them. They have the light. Something's in there. Thinking. Perhaps you need time to consider. All right. We'll come back later and see if we have a response. But in the meantime, we're leaving, which is what you want. You tried. Doctor? What is it? The echo. Listen. Is there something? Someone there? Do you understand me? I think I understand. Is there something you want? Ben grabbed Polly before she could reach the Doctor as he was snapped up in the vast jaws of a sea creature which then crashed back under the water. Doctor! Doctor! There's no sign of him. He's gone, Paul. The Doctor's gone! deck of operations, personnel worked carefully so as not to disturb the man sat in one corner. Richard Tipple stared dolefully at a screen. 
Right, we need scanning equipment, trawling gear, diving suits and first aid. Chop chop then! The examiner's been taken! Personnel hurried to obey. Can we get hold of Jamie? Someone's going to have to tell him what's happened. You, send a signal. Get him to make contact. A man at the communicator obeyed. Ben was already gathering rescue equipment. It's pretty narrow down to the hatch. Will all this stuff of yours fit? It'll have to. Or we'd take a boat. What? Down the tunnel? From the quay. It's all one body of water. Professor Norton had been working on a map. It'll take a moment to bring up on the system. Excuse me, Richard. Tipple stood in her way. He was taller than she was and stared forlornly down at her. For a moment there was an impasse and then Jamie burst into the room. What's happened? What have you done? You lost the examiner too. No! I'm sorry, Jamie. We went down to the lake. We saw the creature. It took him. I I should have been there. We're going to get him back. You can help us. Aye, right. So, Tipple, you need to shift. Tipple didn't move. I'll shift him myself if I have to. Computer, note emergency rule. Accepted. Yeah, well, action stations. Come on, come on. The emergency rule... No, he's taken command. But the doctor's in charge. Now he's been taken. We won't survive without command structure. Is he... Did he just take over? You stepped aside. For the examiner. He's right. We didn't change authority on the systems. So it's Richard's to command. We can't access anything unless he okays it. Then you'll help us, won't you, mate? We need to save the doctor. But he doesn't want to save the doctor. He likes being big chief. It was a relief to walk away. But since no one else will make the necessary choices... What do you mean? Seal the hatches. No one goes down to the lake. Hatches sealed. What? No! But the doctor! I'll make him help us. But before Jamie could launch himself on Tipple, a guard raised his gun. He wouldn't really shoot us. For the sake of the rest of the personnel here? Yes. We can't waste resource on the examiner. I'm afraid the figures speak for themselves. All the people who've been taken. How many have been found? Even their remains. But Richard, please... You go down there, you put yourselves in danger. When we need all hands on the prize, we're getting out of here. Every one of us left. But we'll take the risk. Me and Ben and Jamie, we're not even on your staff. I am responsible for everyone in the mine. I've let too many people slip through the cracks. Well, not anymore. Guards! Three more guards hurried in, their guns drawn. What are you doing? Have that gun. You'll each be given a roll to help us escape. Take them away. Uh, oh, don't me China. shove me! Just don't wait! Uniformed personnel sat at their typewriters and screens, row after row after row. They typed at speed and as one. Except for one woman at the end of a row. She wore the same uniform... But instead of typing, Polly glared angrily ahead. Polly? Hey, Polly. I thought I'd see how you were. I've worked to get on with, thank you. I I thought you'd want to know. Jamie's on the crew digging out the ceiling. We need to clear a space to fit the machinery around. And Ben is on sea defences, where more people have disappeared. What? We're keeping everyone well back from the water, but the sea level seems to be rising, and we can't build up the defences without someone being at the water's edge. Ben's okay, and Jamie. 
They're fine. Bonnie? I'm fine too. Perfect little secretary. You're upset about the examiner. Upset? We left him to that awful creature. I tried to speak to Richard. He's not a monster. He thinks he's doing the right thing. Like hiding the data. But then you're all very keen. Nothing gets in the way of this mine. What's that supposed to mean? Holly. Do you know what task they've been so good as to assign me? Um, data management. Getting it all together before we ship out. That's important. I can see why. I don't understand. What have you found? Polly flicked a key, scrolling up the screen so Trattoria could see. That's my work record. There's nothing wrong there. Oh, you're very well behaved. They even marked you for a bonus, because that's how it works, isn't it? Look, we can talk over here, away from everyone else. Not that you have anything to hide. Polly, this has been hard on you. You told us people were desperate for their homes here. They are. That's why the doctor went down to the lake. He wanted to go anyway. Because of what you told him. But you lied. You're all in on this. You've all got shares in the mine. You knew something was wrong, that people you worked with kept disappearing. But none of you said a word. Because that would have affected your pay. You're not denying it. No. All right, we made a mistake. And how many people died because of it? We thought... Well, we didn't know how bad it was and we... We just carried on working. The doctor. Goro. Your friend, the professor. Right. It's not all right. You killed them, all of you. And yet you're treating me and my friends as the criminals. We're not. You've been assigned roles so we can escape. You see that guard? I can't even leave the room without his say-so, let alone see my friends. Oh, but you'll tell me they're fine. Look, I'll have a word with Richard. The man who wouldn't let us help the doctor. I'll see what I can do. Do what you like. I'm not going anywhere, am I? Trattoria looked like she might argue, then turned and walked over to the guard. Go easy on her. I'm going to try to sort this out. She left. Polly took her seat again and resumed her typing. Just for a moment, she couldn't quite hide her smile. Ben and Jamie, now in uniform, sat at a wide table in a meeting room. Encouraging slogans had been painted on the wall. Believe in your team and we're all in this with you. Two guards stood by the door. <sighs> Is it going to be much longer? The guards ignored him. Here you go. Polly! Oh, Ben, Jamie, are you all right? Oh, better for seeing you. Yeah, what he said. I mean, you know. He'd been about to hug Polly and then thought better of it. She didn't seem to notice. I've done what I can. You're allowed to meet up between shifts. That gives us about 20 minutes. Is that all? At least we're together. But guarded, because we're still prisoners. Chatura flinched, though Polly hadn't even glanced at her. We'll leave you alone till the start of the shift. She shooed the guards out through the door. I suppose we should be grateful. You okay, Paul? They said you were pretty cut up. The doctor's not gone. I I can't believe it. Polly didn't answer. She was by the door, listening. I think they've moved off down the corridor. Probably gone for something to eat. What? I'm starving. We don't have long. Ben, you've been at the quay. Could we get a boat? What? 
yeah, surely you don't mean... Those creatures. Hey, you're not scared of going on a boat. Chatura said the sea level's rising. Yeah, and people keep disappearing. It's coming to get us anyway, so why hang around and wait? There's a chance the doctor's out there. He is. He must be. Then he'll need our help. I I think it'll be dangerous. When's it not? Jamie's right. We're, we're with you. All right. So, we take a boat. It'll need to be small. I don't think the way down to the lake will be very wide. Posh Richard's own speedboat would do. Had me eye on it anyway. But we can't get out. They'll have locked the door. But while you two are busy doing grunt work, I've at least been useful. Created a personnel file with my own details and gave myself security clearance. The quay was crowded with people busy working on the sea defences. A huge wall of industrial junk and machine parts being piled up in front of the water. Ben, Polly and Jamie hid behind a crane. Boat's up there, in plain sight of everyone. If we could distract them. Ugh, give it a moment, then follow me. No, wait! Before they could stop him, Jamie strolled out into the open. A few personnel glanced his way, but paid him no attention. Of course. We're in uniform. And have a common purpose. Right. He's at the boat. You next. Act like this is your manner. Just calls for a bit of poise. Polly made her way coolly across the quayside. Two burly men carrying a boxy machine stopped to let her pass. No shirking, you two. Get to it. Sheepishly, the men hurried on. Polly was almost at the boat where Jamie stood, looking anxiously back the way she'd come. Something must have happened to Ben. She resisted the temptation to turn round. That would only draw more attention. She kept going until she reached Jamie and the sleek speedboat. Then, casually, as if she was just running a hand through her hair, she looked back. (gasps) Ben walked slowly towards them through the crowd of busy personnel. At his side, clutching his arm, was Chatura. As they reached the others, Chatura released Ben, shoving him forward into his friends. Chatura held a gun at them. I very nicely came back with some food for you, but you weren't in the room. I told her we weren't feeling hungry. Oh, I uh, needed to stretch our legs, but we should head back up there now. eh? It'll be the start of the shift. You were going to steal Richard's speedboat. What? Us? You'd never find a route down to the lake, not without the map. Maybe not, but we had to try. The doctor's dead. You know that. You don't know the doctor. Aye, and if there's any chance he's alive... It's more than just finding him. He can sort out what's happening here. He can make it right. Well then, you'll need the scanning apparatus, which I've put in the back of the boat. And there's this. She pocketed the gun and handed over an electronic device, just like the one Goro had been using. It's the map. I've matched it as best I can to the newest seismological data. Why the change of heart? More people are disappearing. And now there's there's water in the base of the mine. We're running out of time. Does Richard know you're here? He insists our only hope is more efficient mining. No one can be spared to even consider anything else. Well then, thanks and all that, but we should be off. Aye. Lost too much time as it is. Oh, but you don't know how to operate the scanning systems. We'll work it out. I'm sorry, I have to insist. You're taking me with you.
Ben grinned boyishly as he handled the controls of the speedboat, guiding them expertly across the water to the cavern wall. Trick is to match the speed of the current, so we're pushing back just as much as it wants to push us into the rock, which means we stay exactly in one spot. Jamie, Polly and Shatora paid little heed. They were busy shining torches over the dark rock, trying to find the craggy features that were marked on their map. That bit, like a witch's nose. It's just a shadow. Can you keep your beam in one place? No, 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 look, it's there. The water's going in. He was right. What looked at first like a shadow was a niche in the rock into which water flowed. Right, want to be tight. Rich is not going to like that. We can get through there, can't we? Try and stop me. They were in a narrow tunnel, the only light from their torches. The tunnel wasn't straight, and the gentle incline of the rock ahead meant they could see no more than a little way in front of them. The shape of the tunnel reminds me of the tube. Eh? That's an underground network of transport back home, Jamie. You live underground as well? Yeah, mate. My next-door neighbour's a woodlouse. But this tunnel's perfectly round. Someone must have built it. It can still be natural. You see it in some volcanoes. The rock is, is melted by lava that's pushing at a constant rate with equal pressure exerted all round, so it makes a circle shape. They rode on, admiring the strange melted patterns in the rock. Polly joined Ben at the wheel, not saying anything, just keeping him company, sharing this until he noticed. What is it? Ahead of them, the water licked and slapped sheer rock. End of the tunnel, isn't it? Just more of them barnacles. But you said it was this way. The water's still flowing on, so the channel must continue, but under this rock. No way the boat will get through there. How far do you think to the lake? You think we can swim it? If we have to. There's what looks like a diving suit here, but only one. Any volunteers? Maybe there's another way in. If we go back, try again. Not according to the map. And someone's bound to have noticed we're missing by now. They'll have sent out the guard. Richard's not like that. Uh, Maybe he'd leave us be. Maybe not, when he sees what we've done to his boat. Wait a moment. And I don't fancy our chances of backing this thing out again. Ben! She pointed down at where the waves lapped against the rock. There was now a gap above the water's surface. As they watched, the gap grew larger. The water's going down. What's the time? It must be the change of the tide. The speed that's dropping. It's like on a lock gate. How's that? Is it enough room to get through? Mind your heads. Ben! Oh, Mr Temple, isn't he going to like that? Ah, what's he want a roof for anyhow? But yeah, I think we're clear. They drove on into the low darkness. Ben, Jamie and Polly grinned at one another, but Chatura shivered. If it's not the tide, then someone's drawing us in. At last they emerged from the darkness. The battered, roofless speedboat puttered out across the underground lake. Light pulsed eerily from the depths below them, but there was no other sign of movement, no sign of the creatures. So, where do you want to start? I'll need some help with the scanning equipment. Aye, okay. Tell me what you need. Can you turn off the engine? It'll interfere with the response. Right. The cable... The cable's uncurled. That's it. 
and then we trail them down into the water. Big problem. There we go. Careful, Jamie. You do want to end up in there as well. Oh, I'll have you know I'm a good swimmer, but no. Ben, you stay by the controls. In case we need to make a quick exit, yeah. Right. The readings are coming in. She adjusted a dial on the scanning machine and numbers ran across the screen. There was a picture too, a latticework showing the shape of the lake underneath them. It estimated the volume of water, 7.5 cubic metres, but... It's empty. I mean, that's just the water. How big can it detect things in there? Chatura didn't say anything. She reached down beside the scanning machine for a torn-off strut from the boat's roof. The strut was about as long as her forearm, but not as thick. She dropped it over the side of the boat. A pinprick of light appeared on the scanner screen at the top of the volume of water. They watched it slowly descend. Very neat. But doesn't he help us? There's nothing in there. No, but look! About three quarters of the way down to the bottom, the pinprick of light had winked out. Then it was back. Then it was gone again and didn't come back. Something must have swallowed it. Or it's gone out of range. It doesn't show the shape of the rock at the bottom either. We need to know what's down there. Ah, well, whatever's down there will know we're here anyway. I mean, we just dropped that thing on their heads. Cheery thought. So, what do we want to do? What can we do? Go over to the shore? We're not moving anywhere. We wait till something shows on the screen. The boat rocked gently on the surface of the lake. Ben sat by the controls, looking out over the water and the light that danced within. Chatura and Polly sat slumped together, watching Jamie's delight as he worked a machine set into the side of the boat. It's ready. He extracted the tray of gently steaming mugs. Then he stopped, a look of despair on his face. Oh, now that's never scotch broth. Smells all right to me. Yeah, Captain. Thank you. But ladies first. Since when? Polly laughed at the matching bafflement from Jamie and Ben. Ha ha! Things are different in the future. What? These two are from the distant future, born in the 1940s, when Jamie's 200 years old. This is some kind of private joke. Don't mind them. You know what boys are like. Hey! You could tell us what year this is. Seriously. Just indulge them. It's 7691. So Jamie's getting on for 6,000 years old. What? <laughs> you don't look it. I'd have said 6,500. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you lasses should have more respect for your elders and better. Oh, mind out. You're sounding like the doctor. I mean, sorry. There's still nothing on the screen. Oh, we can't sit around all night. We need to do something. Like what? I don't know. What would the doctor do? Something risky and ridiculous. Aye, he'd be diving head first into the water. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. If we had a submarine or something. A diving bell. You'd really chance it. We're here, ain't we? Why, what have you got? Well, I'm not sure it would be safe. I'd have mentioned it before. We'll try anything. Well, you can have a look. Ben, can you take the boat over there? Where? Can you see the metal ring in the ceiling? Uh, yeah. Is that a rope hanging from it? A cable. At the other end is a cage. 
The professor used it for dropping equipment down to the bottom of the lake. We could have put the scanner in it and got a better picture. Oh, we tried that before. The pressure is too strong, so the scanner goes on the blink. But if you didn't send the cage down quite so far... It could carry me. The speedboat bobbed on the water just under the thick metal ring set into the rock ceiling. Hanging from the ring by a thick cable was a metal cage. One side of the cage rested against the boat. It was about two-thirds the height of the figure standing beside it. Jamie wore a white diving suit with the mine's corporate logo on his chest. Look like one of those fish people. Yes, well, that's the idea. Here. Jamie ducked his head so she could fit the helmet and visor. How's that? Aye, fine. I still think I should be doing this. I've done scuba diving. Now, Benjamin, you're needed with the boat. If anything happens, you get these two out of here quick. We're not going to leave you. Oh, you needn't worry about me. Uh, if a big fish comes at me, I'll, I'll poke him in the eyes. Don't go looking for a fight. We want to get their attention. Get them up to the surface. Where I can shoot them. You don't have to like it so much. I like the thought of knowing what we're dealing with. Ah, sounds simple enough. Well, uh, let's get on with it. Polly looked stricken, so he winked at her rakishly and then clambered into the cage. Light glistened and gleamed beneath the surface as a shadow moved overhead. The cage dropped slowly through the water, the cable unfurling above it. Inside, knees tucked into his chest, Jamie looked all round. But there was nothing, just the shimmering water. OK. All good. Keep going. He started to descend faster. Soon he could no longer make out where the cable breached the surface far above. There was still nothing to be seen. You got anything? Not a thing. It's so peaceful. Wait a minute. He tried to shift round in the cage for a better look, because something out there, a shadow, a form, seemed to undulate towards him. I'm not sure. Could just be... Could just be how it is with the light. No. No, wait. Get me out! Get me out! Chatora and Ben fought with the controls of the winch attached to the cable. The mechanism steamed. It's going to break it! We have to get him out! It's coming! I can see it! Jamie! It took a moment to see. The cage hung from the end of the cable. No, just part of the cage. The rest had been torn away. Get the torches on the water. I can't see anything. Hey, don't you dare. We're staying right here. Are you kidding? Look at the scanner. As the boat shot away, Ben and Polly fell back into the scanning equipment. The screen showed the same graphic of the lake and a shape in the water, a shape that was moving impossibly fast. It's after us. I know. Hang on. What good would that do? It signals to the main deck. Richard will know we're down here. That lot of good he can do us. All right, I'm the sailor. 
You're the one with the gun. Trattoria let him take the controls. Polly handed her the gun. Trattoria took a position at the back of the boat, aiming the gun out over their wake. There's nothing there. It's not what the screen says. The shape on the screen, it was big and getting bigger. Did you get it? I couldn't even see it. No! You've got it! It's going to hit us! Crew overboard! Help! Polly! I'm coming! Shoot it! Shoot it now! I'm coming! He shoved the lever forward and the boat roared right at the creature. It rose up, a vast grey monster. Its jaw opened to reveal row upon row of glistening teeth. Hungry, are you? Ben was in the water. His head was flecked with cuts, each of them oozing blood. Flaming fragments rained softly down around him. Dazed, he swam towards part of the wreckage of the boat. Chatura was already clinging to it. You got it. You killed it. Polly. Paul. I don't think she had a chance. And Jamie. Poor bloke. He didn't like the sea in the first place. Everyone else, you saved us. What's that? Scanner. Look, over there. Across the water, lit by flaming debris, they could see the scanner screen and the blobs on the display. Large blobs moving fast towards them. Our family of the things. Chatura? Hey, Chatura, where are you gone? Is that you? Oh no. You get off me. Get off! You're not having me as well. You're not... was in the water. His head was flecked with cuts, each of them oozing blood. Flaming fragments rained softly down around him. Dazed, he swam towards part of the wreckage of the boat. Chatura was already clinging to it. You got it. You killed it. Polly. Paul. I don't think she had a chance. And Jamie. Poor bloke. He didn't like the sea in the first place. 
everyone else. You saved us. What's that? Scanner. Look, over there. Across the water, lit by flaming debris, they could see the scanner screen and the blobs on the display. Large blobs moving fast towards them. Our family of the things. Chatura. Hey, Chatura, where are you gone? Is that you? Oh no. You get off me! Get off! You're not having me as well! You On the deck of operations, Richard Tipple looked drawn and exhausted. Chatora, come in, please. Anyone, respond. Around him, personnel watched anxiously, though when he turned, they got on with their work. He returned the communicator to its cradle. I could have told them this would happen. Goro, what's the current status? One young woman got up from her seat and made her way nervously over. Richard, Goro's gone. Even her? Can I get you a booster to drink? No. I don't require stimulants. What's the current status? 49 reported disappearances in the past hour. That's up by a small percentage. The depth of water in the mine is just under a kilometre and rising, but we started drilling up. At the rate the water's rising, we need to move fast. The drill heads aren't built for that. We must have faith in our engineers. An old man sat on the veranda, looking out over the lemon trees and the children playing between them. On the table beside him were a glass of iced tea and a slim computer. You were going to nap. The woman was older too, but her eyes were as bright as they'd always been. Ben smiled up at Polly. Uh, just finishing some work. You've been sat here doing nothing. I was supervising this lot. He nodded towards the children. A skinny girl was refereeing an argument about the rules of whatever game they were playing. That one's going to end up running her own business. Ben blinked. Polly was no longer there. Where she'd been standing, there was now a man in a battered old tailcoat. Ben stared in astonishment. When had the doctor ever been so young? You're wondering how I can tell. If you uh, know how to look, you can see the threads of the future. Don't that spoil the surprise? Oh, the future can still catch you out. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, I, I rather like it here. You had to go and spoil it. Coming in then, please. On the double. They can't hear me. Something's wrong. You're not really here. And it's time to go back. Ben was young again and covered in dark muck. It slicked his hair, marked his face and skin, and had stained his uniform in whirls of brown and black. But he broke into a grin at the sight of his friends, looking just as grubby as him. Been playing mud pies, have we? He's awake. Aye, about time. Can't sleep in all day. 
If it even is the day. It's just coming up to a quarter to six in the evening. Uh, standard analog time. Doctor! Hello, Ben. I uh, trust you had a nice snooze? Uh, oh, I was dreaming. You were there. Was I really? How clever of me. You sort of brought me back. But back where? Where is this place? It's a cell. That's a hypothesis. We don't really know. Where else could it be? It was a confined space, the walls grey-brown, fleshy and, in places, opaque. Light glimmered beyond and large objects seemed to move. But there was nothing else. No window, no door. They were trapped in a huge bubble of... Is this something skin? It's a cell, like you get in biology, the, the doctor said. It's just a bubble. The air and pressure regulated to match conditions up on the surface. You mean we're under the water? Deep under it. Further than a submarine could go. So there's no way to escape. I mean, if we leave this safe cell, we're dead. But to bring us, to, to create this, the creatures must be intelligent. So we can reason with them. The Doctor already has been. Uh, trying to, anyway. They don't exactly uh, speak English. What have you been doing? Mine? Well, uh, a bit. Uh, mostly, they seem to communicate through emotional rapport and some kind of clairvoyance. They see the future. That's how they talk to us. My dream. I, I was somewhere in the tropics, I think. <laughs> Always wanted to live somewhere warm. Yes. We all seem to have experienced something similar. I was back in Scotland, in a castle. I was at London Airport. And I... There was a man. He said he was you, Doctor. But he didn't look anything like you. Uh, never mind that now. But we all saw things we wanted, didn't we? Why? What did you dream about? Doctor? People I know I can't ever see again. I didn't want to leave them. Uh, I think we've seen things we didn't even realise we wanted. But why? It's an enchantment. A curse. Oh, because they're communicating. They want to know what makes us tick. And that's why they've been grabbing all these people. To better understand us. So everyone is alive down here somewhere. I'm afraid not, Jamie. I, I've not seen anyone else. I, I think they want to know what makes us, the, the five of us, different. But we're not different. Why should we be different? Uh, please, keep your voice down. I don't think they like anger and... Fireworks burst inside the ghost of a middle-aged man. The fireworks were off in the evening drizzle outside the window. Ben was inside the hotel room, staring out. His reflection was troubled slightly hurt. Behind him, a TV screen flickered and shifted, the images in full colour but without sound. People in ridiculous clothes sat chatting in front of signs that said, Review of 1986. A year he'd been to before, in the future, when the Cybermen invaded. So, here he was again, older, not involved, and alone. He froze. It was sooner than he'd expected. He checked himself in the window, then the mirror. It would have to do. He turned off the TV and made for the door. Hello, Duchess. Ben! The hug was a surprise. She looked good, very good. Better than him. Didn't think you were coming. I nearly didn't. Suppose you couldn't get away from the old man. He thinks I'm with some of my old girlfriends from school on a reunion. You must have him eaten out of the palm of your hand. He likes me to be happy. Yeah, 
I'll bet he does. He does. He does. He does. Ben shook himself awake. Yeah, what was that about? Polly! She didn't answer. Her entire head was encased in grey-brown flesh, reaching down from the wall. There was no join. It was all part of the same organic material. The cell was trying to eat them. Get off her! Get off all of them! Tentacles also encased the heads of Jamie, Chatura and the Doctor. Ben tried to prise the tentacle from Polly, but it was stuck fast, and he didn't want to hurt her. Please, please, just let him go. To his amazement, the flesh withdrew back into the wall of the cell, becoming part of it. His friends, dripping with grey-brown goo, merely seemed to be sleeping. Polly? Paul, come on, Duchess. Ben, I I was just with you. We were on a beach, Hmm, being chased by Cybermen. We'll have to watch out for that. Come on, we need to wake the others. The others were already stirring. Hi, it's it's like we've all been in a peat bog. I was on a desert island with a girl called... But something's changed. I mean, my dream just stopped abruptly. Yes. There might have been progress. I felt a connection, as if I'd reached beyond just a sense of the future. I was able to reply. You spoke to them? Not as such. Not quite. But I think we agreed a a form in which we can communicate. It's an important first step. The wall's opening. They'll be drowned. No. No, 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 look. It's creating a passageway. I think we've been granted an audience. You mean it wants us crawling through that there? Well, after you, Doctor. The Doctor and his friends crawled through the squishy, undulating tunnel. The floor was slick with grease. At last, they emerged into another cell, a large chamber with thinner walls. A pattern of dark shapes pulsed through the membrane. The doctor addressed the wall. Uh, Are you the one I was just speaking to? Hello, Uh, I'm the doctor. Uh, I might look a bit different from what you saw in the future. There was no response at first. Then the dark shapes on the wall blinked. They were staring at a huge pair of eyes. A vast creature out in the poisonous brine with its head pressed up against their cell. Now. So you speak. Very good. What does it mean? That they don't have names. We apply a name for this interaction. You may call me Orthogna. Well, we we appreciate the gesture. I I think we're going to get along just fine. Now, uh, Orthogna, are you the leader here? What does that mean? Why, uh, why don't you ask it, Jamie? Huh? Oh, <clears throat> oh, great orthogna. Yeah, no need to curtsy. What do you mean by peak brain? The old must make way for the young, for the sea cannot grow. You mean there's limited space, so the older ones make room by what? Leaving the water? We become one with the rock. You mean they kill themselves? 
If that's the only way for the young to survive... No, I don't think that's it. You move into the higher water and undergo a transformation. We simplify. We consume our own brains. What? It's like butterflies are bats. They turn into caterpillars. No, they turn into those things on the rocks. About barnacles, Jamie. Uh, Syrupedes. And as your people, Tatrura, have been digging out the rock, the Syrupedes have been watching. The Syrupedes don't have eyes or any sensory organs. Oh, that's not true. Not eyes like you understand. But just like their younger selves, they read emotional states. And they see the future. They saw what your mind is going to do to their own. They reported it down to their young. Ah, didn't have to be much. Warning, danger, these miners... We never planned to mine down as far as the lake. We'd have left them alone. Well, perhaps your plans will change. The geophys shows there's no seam. We're not going to hurt you. The dry sea floods, choking all. I don't understand. I think I do. That stuff they're mining, uh, Arcanine, what does it look like? They've foreseen a catastrophe. Richard Tipple addressed the personnel on the deck of operations. Some of them were in tears. The fact is, the numbers are against us. The water is rising faster than we can dig our way out. We've slowed the rate of disappearances, but only for the meantime... This isn't a game we can win. But winning isn't everything. We are bound by strong corporate values. We'll face this thing like professionals. We press on. We keep our heads. Whatever this thing dares to throw at us. Richard! Chatura, examine them a criminal. Aye, just, just Jamie will do. Give them space. Get them some towels. Send for the medical orderly. We're fine, really. The examiner, too, but they sent us up to tell you to stop. Stop what? We're not doing anything. Where in heaven have you been? You're soaking in the smell at the bottom of the sea. Talking with the creatures. Richard, they can see the future. They say you're going to use the Arcanite. It'll kill us all. But we can't use the Arcanite. It belongs to the clients. Well, we can tell them that, maybe. But they can't be wrong. They really do see the future, and if they've already seen it happen... But the Doctor wouldn't have sent us if there's nothing we can do. No, no, wait. I grew old on an island, and I also went home, but... but what, what they see is what the future might be like. Then it's still a warning. Somehow the Arcanite... Oh, I think I understand what they've seen. You have? Chatura said it. The Arcanite kills us all. They've foreseen their own destruction. You don't mean... We can turn this around. We only need a little product. And we can save the mine. No! They're trying to settle this! After all the people they've murdered, they asked for this. I won't let you. No! Jamie! No! Guards! No, get off! Take them away. They've seen what you're going to try and do... They know what it means. Richard, don't do this. You'll kill us all.
Polly, Ben and the Doctor sat on the fleshy floor in front of Orthogna's eyes. What are we still waiting for? Patience, Polly, patience. <clears throat> but Orthogna, just sending them up there, you, you should see the future changing already. I, I bet there's a happy ending now. The great eyes opened even wider and the pupils started to pulse with colour. Is that how it's done? Fascinating, isn't it? Imagine just being able to see into the future. Are you sure it's all right? A dark smear pooled from one of Orthogna's eyes. Orthogna? Orthogna? What's happening? The huge eyes had started to shrink. And then they could see why. The creature was falling away from them. Orthogna was something between a shark and a giant squid. Three hearts burned brightly like torches inside its long, streamlined body. There was a plait of nimble, powerful tentacles, but the tentacles flailed pitifully and the lights were fading. What's wrong with it? It's all of them. The depths of the lake were full of similar creatures, thousands of them, large and small, all of them dying as a fog of scarlet particles descended through the water. Arcanite. Those... Those... Say it, Doctor. Those monsters. Waist deep in the water of the underground lake, Figures in bulky protective suits handled a long silver canister. It was covered over with warning signs. They held the end of the canister down under the surface so that its contents spilled out into the water, not the air. Scarlet particles poured away from them, drifting down into the depths. Tipple watched the figures in protective suits on his screen. There's still nothing in the air? Particulates at zero. Make sure they seal the canister properly and get them through full decontamination. The scanning equipment won't tell us if the things are dead. This is high-end product. The only thing that can stop it. Well, that doesn't matter now. The examiner, his two assistants, they're going to die as well. We can't help them. And we cannot let that detract from what must be done. To save the mine and all of us and secure the future of this place as a habitat, the examiner would know his duty. And McCrimmon? And Chatura? The outliers. We must do what's best for the project. He reached for the communicator. The creatures continued to die as the doctor and his friends looked on. I can't watch... Is there nothing we can do to help them? I only wish there were. We need to think about ourselves. That stuff won't do this cell much good either. What did you have in mind? Well, it's a spherical room, isn't it? Perhaps we can roll it along. How do we manage that? Well, if we all walk together up the wall... So, so look, uh, take my hand, both of you. Yes, now, and... They walked in step, striding up the wall. And to Ben and Polly's amazement, the wall yielded to their weight. The room rolled forward, faster than they were walking. They landed in an undignified heap, the room now upside down. Well, excellent. That worked better than expected. Didn't get us anywhere. 
Yes, it did. Look, we bumped into another chamber. Now, the membranes are soft enough, so I think if we can push through... He pushed his hands against the wall into the soft flesh. Slowly, he pushed ever further. Oh, this is quite the most peculiar feeling. But yes, I, I think... Doctor, don't breathe it in. I already did. Oh dear, it's not Arcanite. I wouldn't be talking to you now if it was. But I'm, I'm afraid I, I know that sorry odor. Like something went and died. I'm afraid so, Polly. I have a nasty feeling about what we're going to find in there. But it's our only chance. We have to go through. Chatura was busy trying to reprogram the lock of the room they'd been imprisoned in. Jamie held the torch while Chatura worked the wires. Do you know what you're doing? The principle is straightforward. So no. Anyway, then what? Can we stop that stuff? Officially, no. But Dr. Goro... Someone's coming. They scrabbled away from the door. Jamie sat down, his back against the wall, as if he'd been relaxing. Two guards came in. Both carried guns. Hocking, Elka. You know these two? They helped with field work when I was with the professor. Oh, old friends. Isn't that right? Hocking? What is it? We've had orders to shoot you. The smell was atrocious. Polly's eyes were streaming before she even caught a glimpse of what they'd squeezed their way into. They killed them. They killed them all. But the doctor regarded the awful scene coolly. The bodies are arranged in some system. I, I don't quite understand it. Of course not. It's horrible. There's some kind of classification. They're, they're, they're specimens for study. Yes, all right. Doing to us what we do to lab rats. But they didn't do this to us three. They spoke to us. Because they speak using time. And we travel through that, so we're different. But Chatura doesn't. They didn't dissect her either. No. no. What makes her special? We can work that out when we're somewhere else. Yes, it's all right. Uh, let's move on. Wait, look. I recognise that. Beside some of the body parts was a heap of other pieces, oddments of metal and plastic. Polly reached into the junk and pulled out a smooth object, a handheld electronic device. This was Dr. Goros. You mean she's here as well? Yes, I rather suspect she might be. Uh, Polly, I, I don't think you'll get it to work after what it's been through. We're all right, aren't we? And look, this is what we found before. The statistics. Uh, that doesn't help us now. They've been updated. Our names are on the list. Ah, well, it's nice to be remembered. Uh, hang on a moment. We were captured after Goro disappeared. So maybe this belonged to someone else. What? Or maybe we get a signal to the main systems up there. Right, so what does that mean we can do? Oh, Ben, don't you know? I'm the Earth Examiner. I can do whatever I like.
Tipple swigged from a mug of coffee as he watched, in satisfaction, the image on the screen. The people in protective suits had returned to the shore and were securing the now empty canister. Each one of them gets a commendation. Yes, Richard, I'll do it now. It's been an unsteady road, but we show our best by being tested, and we've all pulled through. What are they doing now? On the screen, the team in protective suits were busy with a second canister. They carried it into the water. I said one canister. We can justify that to the clients, but this is going to eat into our margins. Hello? Hello? The communicator doesn't seem to be working. Richard, I can't access personnel files either. Check the mainframe. Shift to the secondary system if need be. There's nothing wrong with the primary one. Chatura stood in the doorway. Jamie was with her and the two guards. I gave a clear instruction that you were to be... kept in that room. There's been a change of plan. You've done something to the system. Me? Not at all. I said, it's working fine. You're the one that's not. What have you done? We were just discussing with Hocking and Elka how odd your commands have been lately. When who should we hear from? Don't tell me. The Doctor. Oh, no. Imperial Command. What? Seems they've been sent a packet of data. The statistics for disappearances since this project began, but without the bug in the program that doesn't total them up. If there was such a flaw in the program, I'd obviously apologise. They already know, Richard. It's in the examiner's report. There are too many discrepancies in the data. Outliers that just don't add up. You're either incompetent for not noticing, or you were complicit. And then there's your orders to have a shot, and going to war with the creatures who were here first. They were killing our people. Which you should have reported, as any one of us could if we'd not be more worried about how much we'd lose from the share price. Well then, you're just as mired as I am. I'll face whatever's coming, but for now, you're under arrest. You and everyone on deck. But I don't understand. Are you simple? We just went through everything. No, on the screen. You must have given the order to use more of the gas. For a moment, Jamie looked horrified. Then he broke into a grin. You're not fooling anyone. That stuff you'd hidden on the system, it included the inventory. How you've been playing both ends. The horrid poison gas and the stuff you've developed for cleaning it up. Dr. Goro's secret project. If Dr. Goro developed a line of activity without informing command... I'm afraid she kept extensive notes... For some reason, she worried you might try to do her out of her fair share. Aye, but you made a potion that will save millions of lives. Or perhaps it wasn't you. I deny all accusations until I've spoken to a lawyer. The boat made its way downstream, between streets of identical houses. The doctor stood at the prow, leaning forward in eagerness to catch the first glimpse of... There she is, safe and sound. The TARDIS stood on the flooded street where they'd left her. That's where you keep your equipment? Yeah. What else could it be? Aye, and look, she's got company. A huge tentacle curled from the window of one of the nearby houses. The doctor and his friends waved back. I'm glad someone's feeling better. We're giving them the houses to recuperate in. Why big fishy things want to live in houses? Uh, Jamie, I, I think it's the gesture. Uh, a pooling of resources. They 
killed a lot of your people. Yeah, and there are those who think we should destroy everything here, eviscerate the whole lot of them. You're not going to, are you? We've a team of exolinguists on the way, and who knows what other experts and the lawyers who want patents on anything we develop through this cultural exchange. Yeah, not my idea, but there's compensation to be paid out to families, and that's got to come from somewhere. Uh, you're going to be busy. Doctor, there's something I don't understand. Why I recommended that you should be pardoned and in charge. Well, you, you know this place better than anyone, and you can be trusted. I meant, why didn't the creatures kill me like they did everyone else? Ah, I think Jamie worked that out. Jamie? Uh, hey, all right. The creatures don't see one future. It might go different ways. But they saw the catastrophe. Because the people they took and whose heads they got into all fought the same way. If you meet an alien, you wipe it out with poison gas. Except we didn't think like that. But I did. But you were having doubts. You came with us on the speedboat. It seems that's all it took. Thinking outside the box, as Richard might have put it. It gave the future potential. The virtue of a little honest doubt. Does that mean what we dreamed wasn't real? I, I, I don't know. There's things I saw I wanted. You ask me, the future's what we make it. We want something or someone, we should go for it. That sounds like a good way to get hurt. Well, yeah. I guess you can't ever know. But, Doctor, you saw people in your dream that you couldn't meet again. The Doctor gazed out across the glittering water, light dancing in its depths. Were they people close to you? Very, very close, sir. I was absolutely certain they were gone. But now, I'm not so sure. Doctor, it's certainly London. Yes, so close, yet so far. I don't understand. Uh, uh, this is London. It's the wrong time, Jamie. Less 1960s, more 1860s. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Early Adventures, The Morton Legacy. Uh, yes, uh, that, that's right. Uh, we have come to see Mr. Morton's museum. Uh, we've heard it has quite the reputation. It's a rather eclectic collection. Aye, that's exactly what I thought. Fascinating. Quite fascinating. Murder is a very serious matter, Mr. Morton. <gasps> what are you? Keep away from me! <gasps> His death was very sudden and rather mysterious. Inexplicable, in fact. No! Keep away from me! Get back! Keep away! No! Big Finish. We love stories.
My name's Simon Garrier and I wrote The Outliers and amongst the other things I've written for Big Finish are quite a lot of the early adventures, quite a lot of the Companion Chronicles and my own series Graceless. So The Outliers originally came about because I wrote a story called The Yes Men, which I originally wrote for Fraser Hines and Annika Wills to do between them. And there was some debate about how that was going to work because my idea was that Fraser Hines, who was playing Jamie and the second Doctor, would also play the Ben lines, the Ben uh, Jackson lines. So I was a bit surprised when I arrived in studio to be told, well, we're not going to do that. We've actually got somebody coming in to play the character of Ben, the amazing Elliot Chapman, which was a bit of a shame, really, because if I had known that they were going to get somebody in, and if I'd known they were going to get somebody who was so clearly so good at it... I would have given him more to do and made him more integral to the plot. Whereas I think, as people have pointed out in the Yes Men, he doesn't have a huge amount to do and he's missing entirely from episode three, which was just my sort of dealing with the logistics of not having him there. How do you, how do you have a companion in the story when he's not in the story? So I, you know, was quite keen to correct that and, and write something that used Elliot a bit more. So I chatted to David Richardson about what we might do David being the producer David I knew was quite keen to use sort of well-known films as a as a sort of hook for a story so when I wrote the Sontarans my original thing for that was to think let's do the guns of Navarone but with Sontarans instead of Nazis and it's not that you copy the whole film you just use it as a starting place because it gives it something quite recognizable and iconic and, and it's kind of a hook for the story so I was thinking what films do I know that have sailing in them and I was thinking you know well there's Das Boot and there's things like that and then I just thought oh well there's Jaws which has the amazing sequence where they're on this boat the orca these three people out hunting this massive shark and not only is that very exciting but there's a beautiful scene where one night they get drunk together and just tell stories and it's these three completely different characters who have nothing in common apart from the fact that fate has thrown them together and I just thought there's something really interesting in that. Hello, I'm Annika Wills and I play Polly. I'm Fraser Hines and I play Jamie and the second Doctor. And I'm Elliot Chapman and I play Ben. Oh, and I also tell the story. (laughs) I was just talking with David and I was saying how much I'm enjoying these stories and this one in particular and how it reminded me of the old days when we were doing the show and how exciting it was to get your script, your new script, mm. open your new script and say, oh my goodness, you know, what, what have the writers got in store for us? What adventures are we going to be doing this time? And I'm getting the same, the same feeling. And what I'm loving is that now, after all these years, our characters are developing and our stories are developing and it's absolutely wonderful. I really love it, especially with you and me because, you know, now we're having a history together mm. which is which is just brilliant. And also that Polly's character, because in a way we were kind of kept in little boxes and now I feel like now I'm really jumping out of my little box and <laughs> I'm getting tough and I'm getting feisty and I'm telling everybody off and I, I love it to bits. And that's just you, never mind Polly. (laughs) I'm constantly thinking as I'm writing it, is this a studio set? Is this out on location? Would they have filmed this on location? Where would they have filmed it on location? Because the more that I can get a sort of handle on the sort of logistics of how it would have been made as a TV programme, and I'm thinking about things like, you know, do I describe anything in colour 
tipple in the outliers wears a silvery suit you know they wear white uniforms because of course on tv the costumes would have appeared in white on black and white whereas if you talk to the people who worked on the program for example the tricolor bar in episode one of the evil of the daleks is called the tricolor bar so chris thompson the designer designed it apparently in red white and blue you can't tell that from the available photographs and stuff but actually a lot of the costumes and sets would have been bright garish colours I think Victoria Waterfield's costume in the Evil of the Daleks her, her Victorian dress she describes as having been in bright blue and pink you don't really get a sense of that from the episode that survives so my, my kind of thinking is you've got to think in black and white you've got to be thinking about they'd go and do the live filming a couple of weeks before and then they'd record it in a studio so for example in the outliers the houses all look identical so when they go inside the houses i reuse the set with different paintings on the wall several times that sort of thinking so that the the episode should feel like the soundtrack of a lost episode rather than a new story that's that's what i'm hoping when i'm reading it i can see the set i can see it sloshing through the water i can see this huge cave that and when they put the echoes on, it's going to be wonderful. I think one of the things that is really clear about, um, not just these that we do, but across the big finish, particularly with Doctor Who, is they they found this way of evoking the eras that we're in, be it Pat's era or whatever, but taking perhaps some of the internalised character stuff from the new series. So it, it seems like it's like a whirlpool. It sucks the character drama from the new series and it sucks the ideas and, and the evoking an era from the old series and just mixes it up. And I think that's its appeal. What I need to do is tie that into where Doctor Who was in 1967 at the, the second half of season four, where Innes Lloyd, the producer, is on record as saying that he wanted to make the stories connect with the audience more so he did things like set more stories in the present day something that doctor who hadn't really done before he wanted stories that that connected to things that were going on in politics so you can see things about group control and group thought and how how sort of totalitarian regimes control people which is stuff i'd kind of done in the yes men so i was thinking about that sort of thing and was just like well let's do jaws in space that was that was kind of my my first idea and the very sort of American picket fence, sort of rather idyllic town that Jaws takes place in. I was watching that going, they wouldn't have filmed it there if they were making it in 1967. They would have filmed it in a, like the housing estate in Lower Early, just outside of uh, Reading, which where I used to live, where the same two up, two down houses just stretch off to the horizon. I was thinking that's how they would have done it. That, and you, you know, maybe with a matte shot of a cave ceiling or something. So, yeah, that's where the story came from. It's no cliche, but every time we get a good cast, and you, yes. there's nobody I can ever think of, oh, well, they weren't very good, and they were a bit wooden. No, it always blows me away because the voice actors are so good. I'm Debbie Chazen, I'm playing Dr. Goro. And I'm John Dorney, and I script edited uh, today's story. So I play Dr. Goro, who works with Richard Tipple, and there are obviously some shady dealings going on, which you're kind of alerted to from the beginning, but you don't find out what until a bit later on. And she's just terribly serious, and she's a bit of a job's worth, and and I think she's probably secretly in love with Richard Tipple, I've decided. That's not in the script, but I've just made it up. (laughs) The wit in these scripts comes through very much. But I wouldn't say that she is funny in any way, just because she is so serious and such a job's worth and has a very serious 
job as the scientist who does all the things that she does. So I would hope that I haven't played her as funny, but then, you know, the same chap who said I was funny as Clytemnestra might ring me and say, Debbie, you were so funny. <laughs> who knows? Because it's Simon, it's kind of, there's not much you have to do to it. I mean, it's usually just honing and tweaking and making some suggestions. I think I was a little uncomfortable with aspects of the ending when it originally came through. It felt like the, the monsters sort of got away with things and you're kind of going, yes, they've been slightly mistreated, but they have murdered people. So it kind of, you need to keep a balance. But... Apart from that, it was it, you know Simon's got such good strong grasp of character and period and tone that you kind of just want to let him get on with it most of the time and then just hopefully sort of uh, tighten where you need to or make suggestions where you need to. Yeah, he's he's one of the ones that's a joy to work with really because you just kind of think I don't have to do anything really yeah, pretty much. My late father was actually a supporting artiste or an extra as they used to be called for many many years and he in fact was in an episode of Doctor Who in about 1966 something like that. And, bizarrely, with Fraser Hines and Annika. And it was an episode called The Moon Base. Yeah, I, I watched it relatively recently, very amusingly. My name is Alistair Petrie. I play Richard Tipple. And uh, he has the great title of Cohesion Interface Manager, which is uh, one of those wonderful sort of politics speak no one quite sure what the title means I think you have to sort of break it down into three separate parts cohesion I think he brings things together interface as I understand it you are sort of interacting with everyone around you so you are the uh, uh, front man for all people who appear in front of him be it sort of employees or um, well in this case as we know people who arrive unexpected and manager literally means that manages things to the very best of his uh, terribly important ability so it's a phrase yet it's three very indistinct factors that have been sort of thrown together in one title it's an anachronism in a sense in terms of when the piece is set but to the same extent it's um it's again it's a title that means everything and absolutely nothing he came in and he started as Tipple, and he found that line of being able to evoke the era. He he slight he he had a voice where you know he he just slightly heightened his RP as an actor <laughs> would have in the night. Like if you have someone like a Peter Jeffrey playing it or something. Yes. And I thought, oh, nice, that's nice, Alistair. You know, you found the era as well as your, you know, your truthful performance as well. He he tapped into the period. You know, Elliot Chapman has got an ear like nobody else. <laughs> and he, he would have been a brilliant musician because he really listens, doesn't he? You got really the wrong do. kind of fingers. <laughs> <laughs> There's some wonderful turns of phrase that uh, that he has, which illustrate as ever phrases full of meaning but yet completely empty at the same time and uh, there's also that notion of when you say those sorts of phrases as I understand it a lot of people stand around nodding and agreeing with you without really understanding what they mean so there's a lot of kind of uh, not bluff and bluster but um, if you say if well if you say anything and it sounds as though you know what you're talking about people will generally agree with you it's power speak it's management speak actually and there's a friend of mine whose favorite phrase and they say it jokingly which is well let's run that idea up the flagpole and see who salutes and, uh, you know, that's uh, it's a sort of a baseline version of what uh, Mr. Tipple might say. But he's certainly got the manual at home, and I think he probably studies it and then comes into work with a new one and says it absolutely seriously, because that's what he demands. He demands that people take him seriously, and they do. When he speaks, he listens, and uh, he certainly enjoys that. The thing about baddies is that they all think they're good, don't they? No one, no baddie would ever say, oh, I'm evil. They'd say, I'm doing it for the good of mankind, or, you know, they'll, they'll always have a, an ulterior motive that to them is positive and, and good. And I think with Dr. Goro, she 
thinks she's doing the right thing with what she's doing. I think Tipple knows that he's he's a wrong one, but again, thinks that he's doing it for the good of of, of research and all the rest of it. I still uh, um, think of myself as somewhat of a, a fledgling, but I have recorded two, I think, with Colin Baker and one with Tom Baker. So I've, I've got the, the double Baker in the bag. And obviously working with uh, Fraser on this as well, I'm hoping to go for the set. You always hope to get the call to come and record with Big Finish, partly because of the quality of the work that you're doing, and also you're working on something which is truly iconic. And I also think that science fiction goes to places where no other form of drama can can go. It's a genuine privilege to kind of enter into the world and knowing that uh, you know the audience is out there to hear the stories that are told. And I think the other thing I love about doing the audio versions of Doctor Who is that you invite the audience, and I've said this before, but I, I truly mean it, you invite the audience halfway. So you, you're asking them to create in their own minds, visually, a world which um, it engages the imagination in a much more distinctive ways than, than television or film um, can do. And I think that's why the recording of it, because we have to do the same thing. You know, you have to create uh, images in your head of the character and so forth. But the audience are asked to do the same thing. So in, in a sense, it's a fantastic kind of sort of symbiosis of, of, of audience and performer coming together to, to, to sort of create this world. I'm Matilda Ziegler and I play Chatura Sharma. She's a geologist, she's tough, she's brave, she's got a streak of rightness and, you know, she's good, basically, but she's ambiguous as well, so she doesn't play all her cards at the same time. I haven't done a big finish before and I'm very much enjoying it. I like the kind of relaxed, cosy family feel, although I'm clearly trying to catch up on proper factual knowledge, the subject being the subject of Doctor Who. A few weeks before this was released, I saw the trailer for the for the Christmas episode and, wait a minute, the, there's, there's Bill's face transmuting into David Bradley's face and then wait a minute that that looks like me in a pink dress with blonde hair oh well so of course then we got onto the internet then we're having a Lily Travers is playing me now then I just this is just wonderful you know if I gave it to the ego I'd be flattered but it does it isn't like that it's just how lovely to have this beautiful woman playing Polly after all these years that's wonderful I hope that she has a nice big fat part you know that would be good and I also hope somewhere along the line that I'll get to meet her because that would be just just a treat <laughs> 